future trends, deep insights, industry leaders. This is the iGaming Next podcast with your host, Pierre Lindt. Hello, iGaming Intelligentsia. Before we start today's podcast, here is a message from our sponsors. The iGaming Next podcast is made possible with the support from our sponsors at Pragmatic Solutions, leaders in intelligent platform technology. I've been working with Ashley, Lewis and the guys over at Pragmatic Solutions over the last year. And as the early supporter of this podcast, I cannot recommend them enough. The Pragmatic Solutions Player Account Management Platform is an incredibly powerful technology stack for today's gaming business. Their modern modular platform provides all the core services to power your business and their SaaS licensing model allows you to reduce cost and accelerate your strategic goals. Enterprise technology with decades of operational know-how at scale built in. Upgrade your business to the Pragmatic Solutions PAM platform. Visit www.pragmatic.solutions to arrange a platform demo. This podcast is brought to you by Pragmatic Play, an industry-leading content provider of slots, live casino, bingo, and virtual sports. Pragmatic Play excels at creating an immersive, engaging, and mobile-focused experience for players with over 200 HTML5 games that are available in all currencies, 31 languages, and all major certified markets. Discover more at pragmaticplay.com. All right, all right. We are live. We are live. Paul, uh, Leila, nice to have you back on the podcast today. How are you doing? Good, thank you. How are you? Very good as well here. Very good as well, Paul. And uh, we are doing a little bit of an, an, a bit of an experiment today. We are live as we speak right now, live on Twitter, live on YouTube, Facebook, uh, LinkedIn, and all the other social media platforms in order to uh, analyze the uh, DraftKings Q4 2021 uh, report that was just released here a couple of hours ago. And before we jump in, I guess, to uh, the first uh, couple of questions here, Paul, I just want to read out the, uh, the highlights of this uh, report, uh, if you want to call it that. Um, Revenue 2021 for DraftKings, 1.3 billion. Uh, they made a net loss of $1.5 billion uh, with an EBITDA of minus $676 uh, million. Um, adding to that as well, if you we want to dig into it deeper, marketing costs, that is always a reoccurring question with DraftKings, uh, came in at $981 million, which is uh, nearly 75% of the total uh, revenue of the company. Uh, and also important to uh, uh, discuss, which I think will be a bit of a uh, talking point today, is the 2022 guidance here to look forward with DraftKings. Uh, uh, DraftKings um, talked about an expected EBITDA result of minus 825 million to 925 million uh, dollar EBITDA, uh, with uh, expected revenue coming in at 1.85 billion to 2 billion, so a significant kind of uptick in both uh, uh, revenue, but also uh, as an expected EBITDA loss uh, here. So it's, a, it's always an interesting uh, company to, uh, to talk about uh, here, Paul. And uh, I want to kind of ask you as a starting point uh, here, Paul, like what's your overall analysis of the report that came in today? The market so far have reacted with a very negative sentiment, minus 16% on the marketing at opening. But what's your analysis uh, here, Paul, first of all? Well, um, there wasn't too much that um, was unexpected in that um, we know roughly where DraftKings is, is tracking from a market share perspective. 
because the data gets published monthly by, by nearly every state. We, 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 we know, broadly speaking, what the size of the market is for the same reasons. So with a few adjustments, you kind of know where things are going. We know that um, 2022 has started well with a, a huge Super Bowl and um, particularly New York um, being, a, being an enormous new market in revenue terms uh, for, the, for the sector and DraftKings performing reasonably well within it. So we also know that DraftKings spends a lot of money and this report demonstrated that. So I guess the, 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 the two questions are um, purely in the context of the report. Does losing roughly $900 million in EBITDA terms this year easily get you to profitability with that kind of revenue growth? Is it just another 50% and we're okay? Or is it just digging a bigger hole? And I suppose there hasn't yet been sufficient operational gearing evidence to persuade people that that is the case. So anyone who has a short on the company because they're persuaded that there's a, there's a, there's a structural cash flow problem hasn't seen anything yet to, um, to change their minds. I mean, in our view, it's, it's reasonably simple that you, you need big states with relatively low levels of taxation and relatively easy access. And you need um, returns on all of that product and technology spend to start making DraftKings a, a clearer market leader rather than just a, a comfortable top three. Um, because the, the issue isn't so much the marketing spend, the issue is all the other costs that sit around the marketing spend. Right, right, right. And uh, Jason Robbins talked about uh, in the uh, in the report as well that he expects the company to be EBITDA positive by Q4 2023. Uh, in your estimation, how realistic is this target considering that the EBITDA losses uh, keep growing uh, for every new market that opens, seemingly? So I think there are two big questions there are lots and lots of little questions, but there are two big questions. Big question one, does that require uh, California to legalize commercially? Because then you've got a big, big 40 million person market, which is going to create some real operational leverage if it is legalized in a way that suits the operators who have, are pushing for and have crafted appropriate legislative frameworks for, for what they want to do. Paul, we have you back here. This Sorry. is the beauty of doing things uh, live. Uh, you never know what's going to happen uh, here. But you mentioned Cal California, you mentioned here. Yes, and you could, you could possibly, you know, um, point to Florida if, if, the, if something happens with, 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 with a court case with Seminoles and, and then there's a sudden shift to go to go more commercial. We'll see. Those are big questions, though. Um, with the company having very few levers of control over them. Um, the second question is, do the customers who have been acquired at great cost now continue to gamble with DraftKings at roughly the same rate um, into this year and into next year in order that you're building layers of value without attrition? Mm -hmm. And if those things come through, then yes. It is a, an entirely rational expectation. But if, if one of them doesn't come true, it is more challenging, we would think. 
And if neither of them comes true, then it's extremely challenging, we suggest. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. And, and I guess as well, looking forward uh, until Q4 2023, it's a long way to go. And obviously the company is losing a significant amount of cash uh, at the moment. They do have uh, more than in excess of 2 billion uh, euro net cash. But uh, as we said in 2021, they, they lost uh, 1.5 billion. Um, the market capitalization have uh, come down for DraftKings. I think in this very moment, uh, we are looking at a market cap of 7.55 billion uh, USD market cap. And so the, I guess the question is, uh, if they keep leading uh, this amount of money and the expected uh, result of 22 is uh, an even greater loss, uh, will they be able to uh, to to take that uh, cash burn for that amount of time? Like, uh, how will they continue to raise money in order to cover these losses? Well, I think that 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 that's also I think uh, the, the the track when the, the a company and the market both feel very very confident about future growth, you can raise money on a very high multiple, which, which yes. pays for itself. And that mm. was you know, something that we, we commented on when they, when they did the, the, the fundraisers. At the value that they were doing it, they were basically using their market cap, they were weaponizing their market cap in yeah. the industry, um, which was potentially super effective, but it's only effective while the um, stock market or lenders, but I don't think that's going to happen because what, what the stock market is happy to give the company money. And I think um, an awful lot has changed in the last few months that frankly has nothing to do with US sports betting and iGaming and, right. a, and a lot to do with broader sentiment that means that investors are unlikely to, as it were, chase their losses. Right. Right, right. Uh, and uh, I mean, uh, the, you know, continuing on that path as well, um, uh, the acquisition of Entain uh, here recently was obviously not successful for uh, DraftKings. And uh, since uh, that uh, failure to, uh, to try to acquire Entain, the market cap has come down significantly. Um, and uh, I, I assume that uh, this also makes it more difficult to engage in M&A activity for uh, DraftKings as we move forward here as well. As, uh, as you point out here, they can't really weaponize the uh, uh, market cap any longer to do this kind of like all uh, stock deals like they did with, um, with Golden Nugget uh, recently as well, right? I think it is much more difficult to do boss M&A where they turn up and they're like, we're DraftKings. We're rearranging the world as we want it to be, and um, this is this is how it is. But I think perversely, it probably makes it easier to do different sorts of M&A. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and uh, jumping over to uh, to something uh, different uh, here, Paul, which is uh, the uh, Hindenburg reports uh, caused obviously a, a lot of turbulence with DraftKings when it was uh, released last uh, year. Uh, and uh, what the report uh, was uh, zoning in on was the fact that uh, uh, SB Tech, uh, which uh, was merged into DraftKings through the through the SPAC uh, earlier in early in 2020, I believe, um, it uh, highlighted the fact that uh, SB Tech was uh, deriving a large amount of the revenue from uh, from unregulated markets, essentially. Um, 
still, SB Tech is, uh, is deriving uh, 50% of the revenue from uh, unregulated revenue. Do you think that this also plays into, uh, into the part of the negative sentiment overall for DraftKings? Is this still an issue, do you think, from US-based investors, or is this past DraftKings at this stage? I, I, I don't think it is. Um, that's not to say that it, it potentially never will be, but I don't think it is. And it's, it's, it's not dissimilar to the evolution situation. I think that the first thing that we would point out is that unregulated is a very dangerous word and it's unfortunate that the industry has latched onto it as a word that it uses as a shorthand because um, for a not domestically regulated is a, a really sort of boring way of describing something but that's what we're talking about rather than unregulated. Um, there will be there's a point of supply point of regulation which has been gone through legal diligence um, and regulatory and licensing diligence by the, the very nature of the fact that the, the company has changed hands and the company has gone through regulatory approvals. So yep. can, does that mean therefore that there is literally nothing to see here? Of course there's always more risk in point of supply regulation when it coincides with, with um, domestic regulation but equally I think that this is one of those things where a little bit of knowledge can be very dangerous. Um, and to land blows like that, you've got to, you've got to be sure of malfeasance, not pointing fingers in a broad direction. So I, I don't think, I think there are, there are much bigger issues that the market yeah. is now looking at than that. Yeah, yeah, fair enough, fair enough. And as we now look forward into uh, 2022, uh, uh, Paul, so uh, Jason Robbins also talked about how if it wasn't for new market entries uh, in 2022 onwards, uh, he would expect draftings to be a bit of positive by the end of uh, 2022 already. But because of the uh, new entries in, into new markets, uh, that uh, EBITDA result, uh, positive result is being pushed by a year, essentially. And you would expect that um, now looking into uh, Q1, where obviously New York uh, went live, which has uh, an expensive state to, to enter, and uh, question marks around profitability in that state even long term. Um, what's your expectations now as we uh, look into Q1 and onwards for uh, DraftKings. Uh, again, they enter uh, New York. Uh, there has been the recent Super Bowl, uh, which obviously uh, uh, should generate a healthy amount of profits. It seems to be a, a quite a pivotal um, quarter that is coming up here for DraftKings now. Like, what, what's your expectations now as we as we look forward? Well, I think it, it somewhat reveals the some of the structural limitations of U.S. sports that we talk about quite a lot. Um, they are enormously seasonal, more so than the sort of soccer, tennis, global basketball, horse racing that is the, the standard pillars of other markets. Um, and they're far more skewed to the very high profile marquee tier one events um, than, than any of those um, any of those other sports, which is a problem because when you have a very high profile event, which is going to be a, a market share defining event, you have every excuse in the world to throw loads of marketing money and offers at it. <laughs> now, in a normal environment, not a normal, in a European or nearly anywhere else environment, <laughs> you can usually monetize those customers from, they'll bet on other stuff as well. 
but with the level of seasonality and concentration of US sports and the unwillingness of US betters to engage outside of that concentration, there's a problem with the lack of other stuff. It doesn't exist quite so much in a gaming environment. And that's why gaming is materially bigger than betting on online overall in the US, even though you've got 19 states to, to six. So therein lies the problem. So if operators work out how to engage their customers with longer tail products and or have the ability to cross-sell gaming in a critical mass of markets, then you'll be able to see the, the, the big spikes in activity in marketing starting to add longer term value. But our concern is until that happens, then you get a big spike in activity, which is matched with a massive spike in marketing. The two cancel each other out and then everybody goes home. Yeah, yeah, f fair enough. And I, I guess that's connected a little bit to the, the question, as you mentioned, uh, in regards to online casino uh, specifically. Uh, the numbers from New Jersey just came out in the month of January, and they, um, they detailed the fact that uh, online casino play um, contributes something like two to about two and a half times more uh, revenue to the to the to the online um, uh, activity totals in comparison to sports betting, and uh, so do you think as we look forward now into the future, is is a company like DraftKings at the mercy of states legalizing online casinos specifically in order to be uh, EBITDA positive in the in the long run, considering how much more profitable uh, that vertical is in comparison to sports betting? Well, you've, you've got the golden nugget acquisition that we, we said at the time was one of the most elegant and obvious and sensible acquisitions that could be made. Um, literally nothing bad to be said of it, um, which is rare. We, we normally slate acquisitions, but not that one, for almost exactly that reason. And I think that the, 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 the question is what happens to the US better customer profile in the long term? I think in the short term, it is not too dramatic to say that there, there isn't really a viable business model for profitably extracting value from US online sports betters. Mm. So yeah. the question then is, how can you turn that around? And gaming is the really easy way to do it that's available right now operationally, but it has its strategic constraints. Yes. And then the question is, given that you're not going to be able to have gaming everywhere, that's just not how US regulation is going to work. Yeah. How do you monetize those US sports betters more effectively? So how do you get them interested in, in more gaming style products in terms of their availability? Mm -hmm. So interested in soccer, maybe, or, or tennis, or right. Um, right. basketball, they're the obvious ones. Yeah. Virtuals, if you're allowed. But, yeah. but with, without something like that, we think it's very, very difficult because nobody is going to... Or if there's an appetizing ban in a critical mass of US states, that would help everybody out. Yeah. But I doubt yeah. that's going to happen. Fair enough, fair enough. Um, I guess, uh, you know, 
if we want to take the perspective and the lens uh, here of the uh, of the bull case of DraftKings, uh, they talk sometimes about uh, the fact that uh, we shouldn't look at DraftKings as an organization and judge them for how they look today and how their pro- profile, uh, how their product portfolio look today. But we should rather look at uh, DraftKings for their vision, which is to become kind of the Amazon of gaming, as uh, a, as Jason Robbins states it. And what he means by that is. Um, they want to expand into different verticals. Um, last year, they launched the NFT marketplace as an example of this. And they might uh, launch other products in the future that are touching uh, other uh, verticals as well. And uh, how we should view DraftKings today is that they are building up, uh, they are doing, they're building their brand in order to have a head start whenever they uh, launch into new verticals. And they can then use the uh, the massive databases they have in order to become successful uh, in other products again like the nft marketplace the autograph that was launched last year uh, do, do you think this uh, investment thesis uh, holds up or uh, it's it seems again like it's a very volatile strategy that is very unproven let's say we don't even know which verticals they will enter it's it's other technology-led brand-led innovative gambling companies have tried this before. Um, I'm thinking mostly of Betfair when it IPO'd in 2010. And it was a dismal failure. Now, there were separate circumstances as to, um, in, 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 in that context. Um, the, the problem here, I guess, is that we specialize in gambling. And I'm naturally cynical, and I'm approaching middle age. So, you know, I would say what I'm about to say, but the broad structural problem with, with gambling is that it is not really market, not as a real engagement. Um, you, get a, you can tip into mass market with sports betting on a small, discrete number of events. So Super Bowl, March Madness, um, Kentucky Derby, that sort of thing. But you're only touching those customers who form such a huge part of your database for a very small amount of time to provide a very narrow service. Hmm. That's not the case with Amazon or Google or even the immersive way in which more people use Meta's products. Hmm. So it's much more difficult to turn a niche into other verticals than it is to start with something which has real credible mass market position and then look for monetizable niches. So you start with the customers and then you look to monetize them. This is not where we are here. Right, right, right. Uh, I mean, Paul, uh, you know, let, let's say that uh, we live in a in an alternative universe here, where uh, all of a sudden the CEO position is open, and they, you know, you get the call from DraftKings, and they ask you to uh, to now step step up and 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 take the CEO position of of DraftKings, and kindly you accept uh, here. Let's say, what what would uh, <laughs> what would be your course of action here with DraftKings? Would you uh, would would you pull back on spending? Would you continue this aggressive spend and strategy? Uh, like, uh, how would how would how would you uh, steer the ship if it was uh, if it was you at the helm? We really liked the Entain deal. The um, 
in our view, the business needs cash, sustainable, recurring, sustainable revenue <laughs> that is not driven by equity markets, which is an inherently flawed model by default. Yep. So that's what I'd be looking at, frankly. Where, where, where can we still generate positive cash flow in markets with less hype, less burn, less focus? Mm-hmm. Right, right. Would you be looking at, uh, it seems like the next frontier for the American operators is now looking at potentially South America, a geographical expansion outside of the, of the US. Do you think uh, DraftKings is ready for that, considering that uh, they would be up against... Um, the European operators who are more mature in those markets? Well, I think there are there isn't a Latin American market for a start, even though you've got two broad blocks of, of, of language. Um, right. It's considerably more fragmented and complicated than that. And one of the things that we've seen literally globally is the enormous value of localization. Anyone who is not a, a, a deeply local offer is essentially a niche offer, even if it's a big niche. So Bet365's amazing ability to do um, in-play better than anybody else is effectively a niche when you look at the full range of products. Um, so how DraftKings becomes sufficiently localized in markets that are also regulating in a way which is um, available to make money rather than in a, in a New York sort of way um, becomes, becomes a, a big question because it's not the case of peering at a global map and saying, we're, quite, we're in the same time zone as these guys and they like probably speaking the same things as we do. So off we go. At the moment as well, broadly speaking, they are small markets. I mean, one of the good things about specializing in US sports betting is you can't look really anywhere and say that it's a small market because you're sitting in a small market. But it is in strategic terms and compared to what what people are hoping for, LATAM is still a relatively small market. So when you factor in that it's small and then you have to localize on many, many, many levels, we think it's going to be a market that's generated by local heroes, which are then going to get consolidated, not somebody sweeping in and saying, we're going to dominate this with marketing expenditure. Like there are right. certain, like I said, there are certain products like poker, like in-play betting, where you can do that. But when you, when you don't have a massive product leadership that you're going to use, then it's very difficult to see how that's going to work. Right, and that is uh, the strategy that Betson Group is choosing, uh, for example, as they are entering many markets in Latin America, they are acquiring their way into the market by uh, acquiring smaller operators in order to have that uh, localized approach uh, through those uh, local partners. Yes, that, that, that makes sense. Um, you know, sp- speaking about geographical distribution uh, here, Paul, as well, uh, we, ha- we have uh, the uh, Canadian province of Ontario opening up in, in a couple of months. And uh, DraftKings uh, have communicated that they will, of course, enter this uh, market as well. Now, um, the Canadian market has been a grey market uh, uh, previously, and uh, it's been dominated again by the uh, by the European operators who uh, have built up that local expertise in the Canadian market, built up their databases and the liquidity in that market that they can obviously 
use as a head start. Uh, what's your expectations here for DropKings in Ontario? Because it seems to be under a little bit of a different circumstances than uh, when a US state opens up, which uh, had previously not been touched by uh, anyone else than the black market operators. So we, we think there is a, a, a degree of opportunity. So again, we were surprised by how little money sports interaction made. Um, as a strong sports-led brand in Canada with, with uh, local expertise. Um, so uh, conversely, a lot of companies make an awful lot of money in gaming in Canada. So the, the, the trouble there is that if you're sports-led, then you're aiming for a very small market that you need to grow. Now that's possible because the, the um, monopolies haven't been able to do any mass market heavy lifting until very recently because of the limits um, that they've had on, on, on singles betting. So we do expect the betting market to grow, but it's growing from a very small base where you've got a few operators who are already doing pretty well. So it's going to be some pretty tough arm wrestling unless you're introducing new products and, and, and what Canadians have been really missing is a, is a US-style sports book. But even then, there's been plenty of those in the Caribbean that can leapfrog the US and serve as Canadians. So we don't, we don't buy that really either. So the, the real big money battleground, just like in the US, is going to be gaming. And there yeah. are obvious advantages that a betting-led operator has got in gaming because they've yeah. got that mass market reach that they can then monetize. Um, but the gaming pie always divides more than a betting pie. Yeah, I, I think it will be really interesting to see as uh, some of the uh, European-based operators have been struggling in uh, North America, uh, trying to enter the market. Uh, now, when they have been kind of establishing themselves in uh, Canada, previously being gray, a great market, now kind of coming head to head in a sense uh, with uh, DraftKings and the, um, and the newer uh, American operators to see how they measure up, you know, products against products and uh, marketing expertise and efficiency uh, within the organization. It's kind of like, it's kind of like the, um, uh, how would you compare it to uh, uh, the, the Olympics in the 80s when, uh, when the, the US went up against the Soviet Union uh, in, in, in hockey and uh, the Soviet Union was always expected to uh, sweep the floor with the Americans. Uh, it happened most of the times as well uh, because of the legacy and so on. But uh, we, we'll see here what happens in, in Ontario. I'm really excited to see the, the number coming out of that market. Uh, Agreed. As, uh, we start running off here a little bit uh, now, Paul, but I have, um, I have two more questions for you. The first one being, uh, DraftKings is obviously heavily shorted as a stock, with uh, more than 13% of the stocks uh, being shorted. Why do you think that is? Why do you think the, the, the stock is, is shorted to that extent by, uh, by, by short sellers? So I think there's a, there's, a, there's a few reasons, but they all sort of converge. Um, it's a, it's a loss-making business with a finite capital base. So that means you've got a sort of catalytic, catalytic end point where the company has to say, we're going to have to cut costs and therefore that's potentially going to impact expectations, which will be 
fairly catastrophic. Certainly would have been at the valuation that the business was. Um, or that in order to continue the ball rolling, we're going to have to raise more money. And therefore you get a catalyst. You get a, as a short seller, there is, you always need a catalyst because it's very, very scary um, otherwise. And I think there's also been a real bear market on, on, on a, in a really profound way. We're, we're in very uncertain economic times coming out of um, COVID policies. So if you want to say, okay, look at a, at a stock that's probably benefited from COVID and therefore could hit the unwind. So it's digital, it's being benefited from, from people um, receiving money to, 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 to stay at home. Um, you've got all the economic uncertainty coming through. It's exposed to government regulation and tax, which is a problem for governments when they're floundering around looking for, for what to do next. Um, and you've got this issue of a big cash burn rate and a, and a cash pile that could only go down. Wild as a cash burn rate. So you can, you can sort of see why people could be negative about that. Right, right, right. All right. Uh, thank you so much, uh, uh, Paul. And uh, thanks for coming on uh, today in, in general and uh, for giving all the good explanations. And uh, we will see you here next time again. Thank you for the, uh, uh, for the analysis and wish you a great weekend. Take care. Thank you very much.